Well, congregation, greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to our Sabbath school hour. For our Sabbath school hour this Lord's Day, we continue in our topic of biblical churchmanship. This is our sixth lesson. Uh, We're coming into the end of our lessons. We probably have a few more. But the sixth lesson is on the offices of the church. And this is a part two uh, continuation lesson to our last Lord's Day Sabbath school hour where we considered the offices of the church with regards to the deacons, the deacons of the church. We now transition to the office of elder, the office of overseer or bishop or pastor. Those are all synonymous terms. Overseer, bishop, pastor, elder. Uh, Brother Winter was just mentioning a conversation he had with someone, and they asked, well, what's after pastor? Bishop? Well, bishop and pastor are synonymous terms according to the scriptures, right? Just a heads up. If you have a copy of God's word, turn with me to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1, as we read the scriptures on our lesson concerning the office of elder. Beginning at verse 5 and reading through verse 9, here we have in the word of God the qualifications of the officer of the church, of the office of elder. Titus chapter 1, beginning at verse 5, hear the word of the Lord once again. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. This gives us, this text of scripture gives us an overview as to what is required of this office of the church. This is important for us to understand and to know what the scriptures teach concerning the office of elder. For the same reason, it is important for us to know and understand what the scriptures teach concerning the office of deacon. That we may fulfill our obligations according to our church constitution. What obligation might I be referencing here? Again, the same one we referenced last Lord's Day. Number five in our constitution concerning the obligations, the duties of a churchman at this church is to, quote-unquote, seek to understand and highly esteem the office of elder or elders. And again, Philippians, 1 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, and Hebrews are the texts cited. So we have a biblical obligation as members of this church 
to understand who the elder is, what the Bible requires of this particular office, and subsequently to show great respect, to highly esteem this office. Chapter 26 of our confession uh, speaks of the office of overseer, multiple paragraphs, and we'll consider those here in a moment. But I want to give you our um, goal today. Our goal, first and foremost, is to understand this office. There's a lot to say about the office of overseer. We're going to, we're going to uh, conclude with just a few points. And then secondly, we're going to close with why the elder ought to be highly esteemed or greatly respected. So first, we, we seek to understand this office by asking, who is the elder? Who is he? Well, according to Scripture, he is a few things. First, he is a mature, godly, seasoned brother in Christ. That is first who the elder is. He is a mature, godly, seasoned brother in Christ. The minister of the gospel is not to be immature. He's not to lack maturity. He is not to be ungodly or a novice in his understanding of God's word, but even more so in his character. In his character. The elders of the church are to be mature men. This is of vital importance. You give me somebody who knows the scriptures inside and out. And I, what I mean by know is know what they say. That's not mature. There's no way he can be an elder. It's literally not possible. But a mature man who, not saying he's a novice, but not, might not know as much as the said theologian in the first example, may be an elder. That's how important maturity is. The man needs to be mature. Cannot be a novice. Consider the call from David to his son Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 2. I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. This is the closing words, the last words, if you will, from King David to his son. Go the way of all the earth. Go out, be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his judgments, and his testimonies, as it is written on the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. Here, follow this for a second. This is the char- it's a, go- a charge of one godly man to another. Prove yourself. Prove, prove who you are as a man. How does one do that? Keep the charge of the Lord your God. Know your God. Know who you are and know who your God is. To walk in his ways. So first we must know him. The elder must know who the Lord is in order to walk in his ways. 
to keep his commandments, to know his judgments, etc., etc. Again, this is what the man of God ought to strive for, to hold fast to the Lord, walk in obedience, and seek to honor his holy name. This is the character of the elder, and really when it comes down to it, this is the character of the mature Christian. Some of you men, all of you men, Lord willing, in this room should be hearing this and saying, well, I I believe the Lord has made me that kind of man. Well, praise the Lord. Good. The point is that this is the expectation. This is where we start when we begin talking about the elder of the church. Not how much he knows about the Bible. Not how well he can speak. Not how many people he has, quote unquote, led to the Lord. His character. What kind of man is this that we're dealing with? This is the type of man that we're dealing with. He's not to be a novice. He's to be a man who is tested and trained for the ministry. I can tell you from firsthand experience, I've wanted to be a pastor since like 2016, 2017. And I told the person that discipled me time and time again, that I want to be a pastor. I want to be a pastor. Kept And he, graciously, Pastor Marketant kept telling me that I wasn't ready. Wasn't ready. Why wasn't I ready? Maturity. Biggest thing. Well, you still need to grow, son. You still need to be tested. All those things. And it's important that that, that point is stressed. I'm spending a lot of time on this. It's important it's stressed. Because what do you see in the evangelical world today? You see very zealous young men that want to go and serve the Lord. And that is a good thing. Even if they want to serve him in pastoral ministry. He who desires the office of bishop desires a good thing. That's what the scriptures teach. You see a great zeal and want to go preach Christ and have the right heart. But don't have the wisdom to go along with the zeal. And likely, and this is oftentimes the case because the churches they're a part of are not pastored by gospel-centered, strong, biblical men. Right? But this zeal is good, but it must come with wisdom. Same thing with the case of the minister. A young man that wants to serve the Lord in pastoral ministry wants a good thing, desires a good thing, but it must come with wisdom. He must be a mature man. That's first and foremost. So, This is who the elder is to be. He's to be a mature man. Second, he is a man chosen by God for this purpose. When we ask the question, who is the elder? We conclude, yes, he is a mature believer, a a brother in Christ, a man, all those things. We're not going to spend time on female pastors. It doesn't exist, right? But secondly, we must know that this is a man chosen by God for this purpose, Fathers, it's Father's Day, we'll use this. Fathers, I can look to you today and say, you were chosen by God for this purpose, to be a dad, (laughs) to be a father. God made you a father. He's given you children, right? Very true. Everyone would say, yeah, no duh. With the pastor, we must be reminded that this is a man that God chose for this responsibility, We often forget that ministers of the church are selected by God for the task they are called to, which means a few things. It means that first and foremost, God's sovereign hand is involved in the choosing of these men. 
In God's sovereignty, elders are appointed to the church. God shows his great love to his church by giving her a pastor. Or, if they are really blessed and healthy, multiple pastors. We must remember that it's God by his spirit that brings the minister to the church and has them serve at that church. They are appointed by God. Second, it is the men of God that are serving that have been equipped by God to do the task that God has called them to. Not only have they been called in the sovereign plan of God, but God also equips them to do the very work that they are commissioned to do. And thirdly, we must know that it is the church's responsibility to help with this purpose. The church has an obligation. The church has a role in this. It is not to just merely sit and be fed and get full, but to help assist in the work of the ministry. Every member plays a responsibility some way, shape, or form. Thirdly, the minister is one who is set apart by the church. So a mature man, chosen by God, gifted and fitted by God, is also a man set apart by the church, by the common suffrage of the church, as our confession states. A particular church gathered and completely organized according to the mind of Christ consists of officers and members. And then the subsequent paragraph, the way appointed by Christ for the calling of any person fitted and gifted by the Holy Spirit unto the office of bishop or elder in a church is that he is to be chosen thereunto by the common suffrage of the church itself. So the elder in the church is a man that you have chosen. That's important to consider that this is not only somebody that God has chosen for me to oversee and, 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 and feed my soul, but it's a man that I also have chosen to submit to, that I have voted on, and that the church has voted on as a whole. This shows forth and shines light on the external calling of the church. See, there are two callings with the office of overseer, just like there is with the deacon. There's an internal calling where the person knows that God has gifted me for this particular role. And there's evidences of that very gift prior to the calling. This is why a man is to be tested. This is why last week I said in my lecture on deacons that a young man is to serve as a deacon before the church calls him as a deacon. As the, de- as the term deacon just means servant. Well, I shouldn't say that. It doesn't just mean servant, but it means servant. Likewise, a young man who desires pastoral ministry shows that desire and evidences that desire in his character, in his conduct, in the way he speaks about the things of the Lord, and particularly the way he speaks about the word of the Lord. Because there is a difference. There's a difference talking about things that God does and what God has said in his word authoritatively. But there's an eternal call that that man has, that that man has, excuse me, and then the external call affirmed by the local church. But it's important to know that when we look at this man, we must know this is a man that the church has set apart 
to serve the church. And then kind of building on that second point, he is a man fitted and gifted by the Holy Spirit. He is fitted and gifted. That means he is not only gifted with the supernatural gifts needed to actually fulfill his obligations as a minister of the gospel, but he is also a man that has been trained up, educated, and is wise enough to do this very office. Fitted and gifted. And it is by the Holy Spirit that this fitting and gifting, if you will, happens. So again, the Lord's hand is evident in this person's ministry. Not only has the Lord matured this man by his spirit, not only has the Lord called this man to the church to serve, not only has the Lord spoken through his church by the common suffrage, that is the vote, but the Lord has also given this man the very gifts and wisdom needed to accomplish this task. That is who the elder is. You see the Lord, congregation, do you see the Lord's working in all of this at every step of the way? And then fifthly, then this is the, where you really should end with regards to who the pastor is. He is a man that is called to be watchful over souls of God's people. He is to be a watchman. He is to be mindful of the spiritual state of every single person in his church. And then it's even, you can, this, this point alone, we could discuss this for a while, because that trickles into their families too. A good pastor is mindful of the soul of, one of, the, of all of the little ones in a particular family in his church. He prays for their little souls. He prays for their wife right when she, they find out she's pregnant. Wow, let's start praying for their salvation. But it's someone who's constantly mindful of the spiritual state of another. Fathers, you know how difficult this is in your own households to have the burden and the weight of dealing with the souls that God has entrusted you with, your wife and the little ones. This is, light. This is a very similar burden with the pastor. He is constantly considering the souls that God has given him. And a good pa- if a pastor is not doing that, if a pastor is not mindful of this congreg- the souls of his congregation in prayer, in his counseling, in all of that, he should not be a pastor. No possible way. I don't care how good of an orator he is, how good, how good he can exposit the scriptures. A shepherd shepherds souls. And that's what a true pastor is. A man that God has called to be watchful over precious souls that he has saved. It's a big deal. That's who the pastor is. Do you guys have any points or thoughts on that to add maybe? I'm sure that I've missed a couple. But that's who... When I think of who a pastor is, when I think of who I am, these are the realities that I have to face. Are we perfect? No. But this is who we are called to be, and this is your expectation, should be your expectation, according to the scriptures. Any comments or thoughts before we go to this second point? Nick?
uh, maybe even pergamum to own, uh, possibly our own Calvinistic type circles is the note that, and we mentioned this early on, is that the pastor is not a theologian in a very technical sense of that. He's not a you know, scholastic, highly theologian. His primary uh, job is not to be the uh, guy up on the hill contemplating God. It could be someone else's same life, but his job is to be the, the care of souls. And, you know, we, we, we used in the sermon this morning a helpful metaphor of a husband and wife. Um, but even scripture speaks about uh, the metaphor of a mother and her children, mm -hmm. which goes along with what you were saying uh, just now, is that uh, the, the elder of the church, the bishop, is to be as a mother to the, ch to the children uh, that have been given him. Uh, and I think the, those are just some important points to make for, in regards to us who are reformed. Yeah, that's it. Let's, let's, let's flesh that out a little bit, because I like that one as well. We've talked about this in the past. So in what ways um, is the pastor to be motherly to the congregation? This is kind of an interesting thought to think about because the pastor should be like a mature man, right? Not, not you're asking how womanly the person should be. Well, how motherly should they be, really? Mia? I've discussed it in my past. Um, get out of the world view that a man is some kind of a stoic, he never cries, never shows emotion. And I think a pastor needs to be gentle and caring and not ashamed to weep with, with one that, need, that is weeping and to joy with one that is in joy, but not to be afraid to show an emotion in a proper, with a proper balance, of course. But get away from this really wretched concept that, yes, women cry and women are gentle, women show affection, but a man is not allowed to do that. So I think it's a wonderful opportunity for the pastor to show the other men this is, this is you know, it's not anything about your manhood. This is, and I think we need to get out of that kind of generational view. Sure, sure. Any other thoughts? Ian. Spiritually caring for the souls so and think about it and think of nurture yourself, nurturing uh, spiritually um, and what that looks like. The pastor defines as, as they have the relationship. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, a good mother is always concerned about her children and making sure that her children have what they need, right? Not always what they want. We know that. Um, but definitely what they need. And they know that certain children at times may need more, need more attention, need more care, need more time, patience, and treats the children accordingly. Right? Those are nurture, the nurturing aspect is a very good example of that. Absolutely. Any other thoughts or comments there? Joel. I don't know if the next point is, so maybe... Uh... It's a little early, but I was curious of uh, how you would counsel somebody to think about pastors, especially when it comes to those who have um, sinned or maybe made themselves not fit. Because especially for um, those of us who have seen um, a pastor or two been made unfit for the eldership, 
it's easy to get to the point where maybe there's a you you trust the next pastor a little bit less, or you think think them capable of such things a little bit more. Um, and you know, as a, as an elder, there might be times where you counsel somebody, hey, you sh you should heed my counsel. The Lord has put me in this position, and um, and so you need to heed my words. How how should we look at um, the ministry, the past ministry of one who has made himself unfit to be another? Yeah, I think it's one you need to deal obviously deal with those things in a case by case basis, um, but distinguish the sin of a man and the disobedience of a man from the biblical requirements of the office itself. So, I mean, to say, um, you know, it's, it's obviously would be false to say, well, because I've been hurt by an elder in the past, that all elders are going to hurt me in the future, right? We know that the hurt stems from the sin of a man, not from the qualifications of the elder or what God calls of the elder. So we need to distinguish between a person's sin, the reason they sin, and that between what God calls of the officer of the church, what God calls of the elder. So I think distinct, just basically distinguishing between a person's um, sin and what the, what the scriptures call of that particular person according to the office would be where that, where that solution, I think, might come, where that conversation might be had. Yeah. Any other thoughts or comments? Daryl? specifically uh, about um, when children are hurt, wounded, mom is very often the one who cleans up the wounds and bandages them up and whatnot. Uh, they, you know, they tend to run to mom for uh, not just um, being consoled, but, but being treated. Yeah. Right? Getting, getting first aid. And uh, I think we should, I think the, the pastor uh, the church should be um, that that first aid, right? right? And, and they look at uh, the wounds that our sin cause uh, cause us individually and could even uh, cause uh, wounds to the church. And the pastor is their first aid. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And again, to to keep keep that going, um, God both naturally and supernaturally equips the mother to do to be a mother to know how to do the things of motherhood, to have the wisdom to know how to address the particular wound, right? The mother doesn't just do the first aid. She checks on it the next day. That's right. She follows through. And follows through until she sees that the wound is healed. Yeah, yep. and she doesn't stop being a mother to them, just like Pastor Smith hasn't stopped being a pastor to, you know, all of you guys. We heard that yesterday. That's a, but Yeah, that's just an excellent point. That's an excellent point. Uh, thank you for that, Nick. Any other th uh, thoughts or comments before I go to why we are to show Debbie? She's present in the home. Yeah. She's present there to know each one individually. This one's not like that one. This one might affect that one more than the other. So you're you're present. You're you're present. You're not traveling all over the world. You know, making yeah. a name for yourself. You're here doing the hard, nitty-gritty work. Yeah, 
they really opened up Pandora's box with this uh, illustration example. You're right. The elder, is, what, is, what do we read in First Peter? The elder is among us. You know, the shepherd is to know his sheep. He's not to be uh, distant from his sheep to a point where uh, the sheep can't find him. Right? I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with going and visiting another congregation or ministering to another congregation. But when your own congregation does not know where you are and they are being greatly affected, then they will be greatly affected by it. Well, then it's a matter of sin. Oh, absolutely. It needs, it's something worthy of repentance for sure. Yes, that's an excellent point. Just like a, a good mother. A good mother is always around her children. And a good mother knows the minute she leaves her children alone, chaos, chaos ensues. You know, Just know that's what I'm thinking when I'm gone. No, I don't think that at all. All right, we're going to move forward to finish this lesson. Asking the question, we're going to open up more questions now. Why ought the office be highly esteemed? We've kind of spent about 30 minutes already dealing with who the elder is and um, why he is important to the church. But why does our constitution require us to esteem the elder? I mean, why doesn't it say anything about fathers and mothers, right? Fifth commandment says that we should honor mothers and fathers. Honor your own, yes, but all mothers and fathers are worthy of honor, worthy of reverence, high esteem. Why is it specific to the office of overseer here? Why are we to highly esteem the pastor? I, I, think, it, I think it starts with uh, the fact that God, you know, God did it. God gifted a man. It's, it's the reason murder is wrong. Yeah. It's because we're made in God's image. It's an attack upon God. Yeah. Um, we need to highly esteem what God has done. Yeah, you're also looking at my notes, you can tell. Got first two points I have here, and I got you, Ian, I'll come back to you in a minute. First two points I have here with the, the answer to this question is that the elder is chosen by God. It's the very same point as, as to who he is. He's chosen by God, therefore we ought to show him great reverence. You know, this actually applies to the Christian, too. The whole brotherly love sermon I just preached, think about this. We are to love our brother and sister in Christ, because God saved them. And they now bear the name of Christ. That's it. We can end there. You are a true Christian. You bear the name of Christ. I don't have a choice with regards to what I think, how I should act towards you. I must submit myself to God's word. And God's word tells me clearly that I need to love you. We really shouldn't have to even think that through too much because, again, when we think of the person bearing the name of Christ, that immediately makes them, quote-unquote, lovable. Yeah. The office of overseer is to be highly esteemed because it's an office of God. It's an office of his church. But second, I have second as well, the office is a biblical office ordained by God. It's a gift to the church. Yes, we are to esteem the elder because God's name's on it, if I can use that, say it, say it that way. But we, are, we should also esteem the overseer because it's a, he's a gift of God to this church, to all churches. You were, your, 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 whole, your role was made, created by God for the church, to bless the church. But you have been chosen to bless this church. 
Therefore, you are worthy of reverence. Ian, do you have something? This comes down to reverence. Yeah. Reverence for the provisions of God. That's it. Reverence. Yeah. Showing, it's kind of interesting. This, the answer to this question is first and foremost all about God. It's not about Jihad or Steve or Larry or whoever name and intername here. It's about God. We are, to, we are to show great respect for this office because God demands our respect here. What, are, what, what is another reason, though, that this office ought to be highly esteemed? Renee? Okay, it's not just an office that everybody can, can just take on their own. Yeah, because it's an office that, not, that, that few are called to. Yeah, that's a good point. Nick, did you have something? Same lines as we read the qualifications for an elder, which essentially are all acts or um, I guess not acts of, of love, of charity, and uh, brotherly love, etc. And we recognize that the man who is in this office has been chosen because of these characteristics given by God. Um, you mentioned reverence and honor, and at the risk of you know maybe something odd, we the old. Um, English way of doing weddings has this line, you know, uh, my body I may give, uh, or sorry, my body I may worship, my possession I may give, etc., etc. That word worship there is not obviously worship as God, but that word worship is reverence, honor, and that sort of way of understanding reverence, honor, worship is due to our fathers, whether it's physically, spiritually, and then ultimately because of the fact of our divine father. But I think just remembering that he's not just, yes, it's the office that's God-ordained, and also it's the man who's gifted with these gifts of charity that we um, have love for and esteem highly because he has these gifts in a special way. Amen. Any other thoughts? Daryl and then Mia? Um, I think because the man who holds this office is going to give an account he has to, he's accountable to God for the oversight of many souls. So he has this very special uh, burden there. Excellent point. Yeah? yeah Daryl's taking everybody's answers today. That's all right. Any other thoughts, Ian? I'm just saying in temporal way, it's got to be encouraging to keep the elder on track to the qualifications Nick was saying because Nothing wrong with that. Being respected, feeling respected, makes the person feel good. Makes them feel like they're doing well, like they, they their purpose is coming into fruition, if you will. There's nothing. There's nothing wrong with a father in the household feeling like he has the respect of his children. I would actually argue that that's a good thing. That's a great thing, and it makes the father feel good. makes it makes him makes him feel like I'm, I'm doing well, and then ultimately, right, giving praise to the Lord. Right, thank you for thank you for a respectful family, Lord. Thank you for a respectful church. Debbie and Samantha. The authority he guides the church to have over our souls, also authority that. 
for our spiritual correction. Yeah, the office, um, the respect that the office demands by way of the scriptures is a matter of authority. It's a matter of the fifth commandment. I've, I've said it many, many times in this church, the fifth commandment applies to our law enforcement, applies to mom and dad, applies to your teachers, applies to your coworker or your, uh, your um, bosses at work, and applies to the ministers of the gospel. Samantha, did you have something? <laughs> um, no, just just that you know, by assuming the position, we're recognizing them as an uh, authority figure that God has bestowed upon us. And much like the way that we celebrate Father's Day and Mother's Day, we're we're respecting that position and that love that's you know given to us by those authority figures. Um, so, yeah, those are excellent. Um, how about because the work is one of great sacrifice? Can I make that? Can I make that argument before you that the office um, ought to be highly esteemed because the office requires great sacrifice? Biblically speaking, it does. Like take out, take out, um, like ninety-five percent of what you have with the elders in the church in America, and just narrow down just the five percent who are actually serving the church full time, faithfully. Who are making great sacrifices for, and all the missionaries that go along with with them as well, who are also elders. Like that, the work of the overseer is a work of great sacrifice. We we've kind of lost this understanding and truth today in the church because of what American evangelicalism exposes you to. Pastors looking flashy. My wife was telling me about Instagram about there's like a there's a page that just shows pastors' shoes. Like, and these guys are, like, making, it's like a mockery of the church. Oh, what, what pair of shoes is this pastor going to have? Or his, the size of his house or things like that. That's not real ministry. It just doesn't, I mean, that, that's going to be consumed up and thrown into the lake of fire on the last day. Just so everyone's clear. Just so we're thinking soberly here, God's going to destroy that. It's going to crumble. Real ministry is sacrificial. Real ministry is not done for, for foolish gain, for selfish gain. Right? Real ministry is one of great sacrifice. You give up a lot. And I'm going to tell you this just from personal experience. Giving up a church like Sovereign Grace is hard. It's very hard to, to walk away. Just like the Sturdivants, leaving a church like Grace, that's hard to do. It is not easy. No matter where you're going, it's a great sacrifice, the ministry is. And I think for that reason alone, it would demand some form of respect. And I think about mothers. Mothers have a great sacrifice as well. You live in a culture today where they, they put before you all of these different ways of being independent and making money and even selling yourself and all these things. And godly mothers say no to that wicked worldliness and submit themselves to a life of raising children and being a good husband. Those are, that's sacrificial love, right? Sacrificial love. Well, likewise with the, with the elder. Full-time ministry, you're not going to make a lot of money. But it's very rewarding. And I would even say the most rewarding job I can think of on the earth, really. That's one I have. 
I just have a couple more. I believe this office ought to be highly esteemed because the specific man slash men that have been called have been called to serve you and your souls. Like we're, we, We've been speaking of this office and the reverence required in a very kind of generic way, if you will, but like just to bring it down to reality and to you personally, the minister serves you. He's serving your soul, right? Yes, he serves the Lord first and foremost. He's quorum dea, walks before the Lord, audience of one. Those are all true, but he's serving your soul. When it, when two o'clock in the morning comes around and you can't go to sleep because you have anxiety for whatever reason and you need to pick up the phone to talk to pastor when we pick up the phone at 2 a.m. because it's on sitting next to our bedside waiting to ring and we console you or counsel you at that moment in time right that is an that is a great sacrifice but it's a great also a great act of love and it's something that shows that this office is a very personal office when it comes to you as a member of this church. I'm your pastor. I'm not just a pastor. I, I pastor this church. I, I know brothers that are very strict when it comes to that. Like They take that to really mean, I'm really only going to focus on you. I don't believe that. I, I, I love other churches too, and I help other churches, but my sole priority, well, my priority is Sentinella. But the point is, is that, again, the pastor that you're showing reverence to is your pastor. He's shepherding your soul. It would be wise to show him that respect. Just like dad is your dad. Just like mom is your mom. They've made a, big, they've made a lot of sacrifices for you. Not to take you to parties and hear one or two people say, wow, what a beautiful family. What a great family. That's not why they're serving. They're serving the Lord. They're showing their love and care. They're showing their love unto the Lord for what the Lord has given them. But they're serving you as as children, as their children. And then my last one, and we've mentioned this time and time again, the scriptures call you to show the elders great respect. This isn't like a question of, hey, do you think they're doing good enough? Or, hey, do you guys think we should respect the elders? Scriptures are clear. But they are worthy of double honor. Worthy of double honor. And again, <laughs> that's not just, well, they should be compensated well. Well, they, they do have to put up with me. They should be paid well. No. They're worthy of the highest respect. And to put it that way, they're worthy of like some of the highest respect. Just like your parents are. So that's why we should respect them. That's why we should highly esteem the office, because the Bible tells us you should highly esteem this office. That's not really a choice. Any other thoughts or comments before we close in prayer, Mia? I've heard that many, many, many times. Yeah, I've heard that many, many times. Debbie? I had a woman ask me once, is your husband your pastor? Because Larry was my pastor. I said, yes, he is my pastor. I am much today, much 
when I am today is because of my pastor. That's right. And I don't think we all realize that. I got a I got a bird's eye view of it. We are all much of what we are today because of our pastors. And that's the mercy of God. Amen. And then on top of that, what kept our pastors going was our deacons. Yeah. And boy, I got a wonderful bird's eye view of that too. That's right. What a great blessing you yeah. men are to your pastors. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I, I, I made it very, very clear last in our last Sabbath school hour that my last point that I made was that the deacons help the elders in the ministry of the word, and they are the, some of the greatest help. I mean, next to, next to our wife, the deacons really are some of the greatest help, you know? I, mean, I, I really, I really do truly believe that, and I believe it biblically. I know, like obviously, Pastor, of course you believe it biblically, but like I, like the Bible teaches that it says that, and then we we get to experience being able to serve the Lord, build this church with other men that are like-minded, that are gifted in similar ways. That's incre- that's an increase of our faith. Why? Because the scriptures attest to it. The scriptures say, these, this is how these men will be. That's the point of me bringing this lesson to you this, this, this afternoon. This is how this man, man excuse me, should be, congregation. This is what you should expect. Don't accept anything less. And if I come to you next year and say, well, with the exceptions, no. This is what we should expect. Just like how Paul tells the Galatians church, the churches in Galatia, this is what the gospel is. Anything else is brought to you, question it. Well, he can be kind of immature, can't he? No, got to be mature. Well, he seems like a novice. Well, then we need to wait. Well, I think there needs to be, needs to be some more theological education. That is a matter of fitting. Remember, fitting and gifting? That is a matter of fitting. You are saying, I'm not sure he's fit for this. We need to wait. The pastor needs to, there, there needs to be an understanding of what the requirements are for both the deacon and the overseer. And we have to understand them biblically. Daryl, did you have something? Uh, one, uh, read, um, Hebrews 13, 17. Please. Yeah. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out over your souls as they who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Yeah. Yeah. Paul lays it, Paul lays it out pretty clear. I mean, this is for your benefit. This brings glory to God. This honors the name of Christ. But man, this is, church, this is for your benefit. I, I've told a handful of you, my deacons know this, you don't want me to work. You do not want me to work a secular job. Do I want to work? Will I work? Well, no. Do I want to work? No, because I'm a member of the church and I'm an officer. But will I work? Check the track record. Of course I'll work. You don't want that. Why? For the sake of your own soul. And that's the text I would go to every single time. And that's not, again, it might... That, that, what I just said will sound extremely arrogant if it was spoken in and of itself. That's what the scriptures say. And then when you, start, when you start realizing what it means to be a pastor 
and what God can do when a pastor is serving full time, you start realizing, yeah, I don't want you picking up anything, man. I want you to focus on your job because look what happens. Look what God does when things are in order. And how did that passage in Titus 1 start? For the sake of order. I sent you commands to deal with the order of the church. Set apart elders. It's a matter of order in the church. You know, I don't want to belabor that point. Any other thoughts before I close in prayer? Okay, let's give the Lord thanks for the Lord's Day. Close in prayer. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your mercy and for your grace. We thank you for feeding us by way of your word this Lord's Day. May it be a blessing to our souls. Continue, Lord, to be with us as we just enjoy uh, rest this Lord's Day, as we uh, continue to fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ and, and seek to glorify your holy name in all that we do. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen.